0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Helps to turn the microphone on. Good to have all of you here. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci Fi for Me. And it is Friday. Everybody works on Friday, right? Not impressed with, not impressed with my cable management. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I have, I have quite a few cables. You should see the snarl in the back. I've I've tried to run them, I've tried to run them a little bit uh, as neatly as possible, and you'll see down here on the floor behind me, uh, that I have. A, a cable runner I've got a couple of cables inside that, that runner over there to make it a little bit cleaner So it is what it is we are broadcasting live to Facebook Odyssey YouTube and this show is available on a number of podcast platforms so uh, you can check us out on all of those places the email address live from the bunker at sci-fi for me course you can always leave a comment if you're not with us live the uh the chat is active obviously i have i have cables running all over the place out here and it's as it's as neat as possible uh, at least given the resources that i've got <laughs> so Uh, that's, that's just the way it is, isn't it? So, uh, good to have all of you with us today. Thanks very much for being here. It is Friday. It is the end of the week. Uh, and yes, Mrs. Boss has not tripped on, uh, she has not tripped on the cables yet. What have I got? Oh, well, yeah, there's... i am just, I'm, I'm looking at these, I'm looking at the shot and I'm thinking, what is it that Snob is seeing... That 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 makes him think that uh, that I don't have very good cable management. I mean, that's there's a, there is a a little bit of a snarl back over here, but it's the the left side. This is it my left or your left? Because the only thing on your left is this cable here for the microphones. <laughs> so are you? Oh oh oh, uh, maybe back there in the back. I see maybe over there by the tower. Yeah, there's. That's uh, that's just the stuff on the top, where uh, where all of my peripherals are plugged in. So I've got a USB hub up there, and I've got a DVD, CD thing up there, and a couple of portable hard drives because I don't have hard drives in the tower. I got well, I've got two towers, uh, two hard drives in the tower. But I keep all of my stuff off the off the tower because the tower can crash at any minute, and I only have a limited number of USB ports, so so there we are. All right, so uh, speaking of our podcast, I uh, want to say hi to listeners in Russia, Canada, Poland, Germany, Italy, Spain. So, good to see uh, good to see everybody uh, sticking around for that. And and look, I I have lots of ideas for cable management. Um they would cost money. <laughs> so I I do the best I can. <laughs> Anyway, all right. So, um, so let's let's get into this a little bit. Just a real quick thing. <laughs> I was able to derail the show for thirty to forty-five seconds. My work is done. Yes, congratulations. You have you have provided us with our digression for the day, going into the weekend. All right, we've got this item here that just uh, just came out earlier this morning. Regal Cinema's owner, Cineworld, filing for bankruptcy. This is in Variety. Uh, From the article, Debt-laden exhibition giant Cineworld is filing for bankruptcy after admitting to low admissions, according to reports. The company, which owns Regal Cinema's of the U.S., has hired lawyers from Kirkland & Ellis, LLP, and consultants from Alex Partners to advise on the bankruptcy process, Wall Street Journal said, citing people familiar with the matter. Uh, uh, quote, the Cineworld is expected to file a Chapter 11 petition in the U.S. and is considering filing an insolvency proceeding in the U.K., the Wall Street Journal said. Cineworld declined to comment when approached by Variety. So it looks like uh, it looks like the lockdowns of the pandemic have taken their, uh, their first sizable head. Uh, now chapter 11 sometimes means we're just going to reorganize a little bit but uh, if they're filing for insolvency in the UK I'm not sure what the rules are over there what the definitions are how they're using those terms but if Cineworld is done then that's another that's another blow to the movie theater side of things and what's what's uh, what's the streaming component of that equation because how many people stay home just because that's what we've been conditioned to do, right? We we stay home. We don't go everywhere. We don't go anywhere. I'm guilty of that myself. Mrs. Boss and I frequently have conversations about the fact that we just don't go anywhere anymore. You know, we don't have date night like we used to. And our date nights usually involve a trip to Home Depot for the garden. I think a lot of people are still in that I don't want to deal with people anymore mindset because of all of the lunacy of the last couple of years. So we'll see. I don't know if people if people continue to stay home and they don't go to the movie theaters, you know, movie, movie theaters are, are are an important part of our culture. Going to the movies uh, is an important part of our culture. It's that communal that communal experience, that shared experience that you get with a crowd going to a movie, going to a play, that you don't get watching a movie at home. Same as you know, going to church. Going to church online has a completely different dynamic than going to church and actually sitting among the rest of the congregation. So it's it's that same kind of thing that that lack of reinforcement that you get when you're with a crowd, with you're with a group. Positive or negative? I mean, riots the same way. It's it's one of those things. So uh, anyway, uh, SciFiSnob says we're we're dealing with old married couple itis. We've actually talked about that. It's it's not old married couple itis. And uh, and Robert's question about maybe we simply don't find each other attractive after spending so much time together. No, it's it's actually. Things are things are quite well in that regard. Um, I, I I still I still enjoy Mrs. Boss's company for the most part, right? And and Mrs. Boss is typing in the chat, so she's going to she's going to have something to say, I'm sure. Unless you want to get on the microphone and say it, just like for the record. <laughs> Uh, anyway, all right. So, I don't. I well, if you're gonna keep making comments like that, no, they don't want to. They don't <laughs> want it to do that. Um, and and yeah, Snip, You're right. They they have been predicting the death of movies for for a long time. Not not even before the 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 invention of the videotape. You know, you had VHS and Betamax, and oh, this is going to destroy the movie industry. And before that, it was television. Television was going to destroy the, the movie industry. I think the difference here, this time, is that all of those instances, all of those his- historical events... You know, the invention of the television, the invention of, of the VCR, and, and whatnot... ...the DVD player, the Blu-ray, all of this stuff with home entertainment. The option of the movie theater was always there. And when we all got put into House Arrest... ...the movie theater option was no longer an option. And you have that choice taken away from you by someone else. And I think that's done a lot of harm... Uh, not just to the movie theater industry, but it's done a lot of harm to a lot of people, both uh, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually. You've had you've had it's, it. This has taken its toll, and I can I can say for myself, I don't like getting out because I don't like dealing with people because half the people out there are not playing with a full deck anymore. In terms of manners, in terms of consideration and respect. And it's just a whole lot easier just stay at home and not do anything. I mean, I come to work, I do this. I, um, I go home and maybe watch a little TV and putter around in the garden. And I keep to myself. It's, it's all of us who ought to just keep people away from me. You know, I don't have any control outside outside the perimeter of the compound. I don't have any control over anything. It's not really a comfort zone thing, but it's just a... I just don't want to deal with it. I just want to be left alone. Which is going to be really difficult, because 2023, we're talking about ramping up our, our travel to various different Comic-Cons to try to try to get back out there and start to do some broadcasting... So I'm going to have to fortify myself. <coughs> lots of coffee, lots of chocolate covered donuts, lots of uh lots of beef jerky and what other comfort food do I have? Pizza. Anyway, all right. So, uh let's let's get into Let's get into today's topic, shall we? Because this came out earlier this week. Mike Fleming reporting in deadline. Kenya Barris to write and direct reimagining of Wizard of Oz for Warner Brothers. Okay. Now, Warner Brothers has been in the news a lot lately. They've canceled a number of shows over on uh, HBO Max some animated stuff and a lot of people are upset. Uh people are upset about Ezra Miller still being part of the Flash and the Flash is still coming out apparently. And then there's this. And I have thoughts about this and I thought, oh, okay, we're going to we're going to spend some time on this one because there's uh, I have reasons for concern, let's say. All right, so let's get into the story here. Warner Brothers just set Kenya Barris to write and direct Wizard of Oz, a reimagining of the fantasy classic with his Calabo Inc. Society producing. That's the, that's the name of his production company. We all know the story from the 1939 film, but Barris is keeping the creative details close to the vest. It will be a modern reimagining of the iconic musical, his deal closed last week. Sheila Walcott is overseeing for the studio. Deal comes as the Blackish creator is in post-production on his feature directorial debut. You people, Barris and Jonah Hill wrote the original comedy together with a slamming cast that includes Hill, Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Lauren London, Neil Long, and David Duchovny, among others. Next month, Barris will launch Enter Galactic, a television event he co-created with Kid Cudi. The first-of-its-kind project is inspired by the Grammy winner's upcoming album of the same name. Combines adult animation, music, fashion, and art to tell a story about modern black love in New York City. Barris has been leaning more into features, including Girls Trip and Coming to America. That's the sequel. Upcoming is a remake of the sports comedy White Men Can't Jump, a feature film about comedic icon Richard Pryor that Barris is writing to direct and produce, an animated movie inspired by the songs and music of Bob Marley, and a feature-length musical about Juneteenth that he has teamed with Pharrell Williams to produce. Barris has also expanded into podcast and music with the launch of his Calabo Music label last year, as well as studio ownership with BET Studios. He's a principal partner. BET Studios, BET Black Entertainment Television, I think is how, is how that shakes out. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's me, but I'm detecting a little bit of a pattern here. But let's go over and see. What does, what does Kenya Barris do? What kind of projects does he work on? Um, let's go through his filmography here. As a writer, you've got White Men Can't Jump, you've got You People, Oldish, Grownish, Blackish, all of those in that same universe. Um, and at one point, I heard he was going to be doing Brownish with Eva Longoria. I don't know what the status is on that. I think that project is dead. Uh, He's got a screenplay for the Cheaper by the Dozen remake with Zach Braff in the the multiracial Cheaper by the Dozen remix. We have Mixed-ish, Black AF, hashtag Black AF. He wrote Shaft. He wrote the Shaft remake. Um, The game... Are We There Yet, which is, I think, the series that was based on the movie that had, uh... Oh, what's his name? It's not Cube... It's not... It's Ice Cube? Is that was his name? Are We There Yet? Ice Cube was in there. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm... 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I'm not sure... Thank you, Keeley. It was it was Ice Cube. All right, I, 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 that's who I thought it was. I knew it wasn't Ice T, and I knew it wasn't Ice Ice Baby. So, all right. But I'm detecting a little bit of a pattern here with some of the stuff that he's made. And yeah, people liked Shaft, but I think people like Shaft more because it was Samuel L. Jackson, not not because it was Shaft. Because there are a lot of people don't know who Shaft was, at least not the original. Now, I'm not sure about this. There's another project that he's that he's announced, and this is uh, something for uh, MGM Youth. It's a uh, it's a youth no MGM. It's a youth football comedy called The Underdogs with two G's that he's doing with Snoop Dogg. Um, this looks like it might be a reality type of comedy type of thing. Snoop Dogg will star in MGM's upcoming comedy, The Underdogs, and produce under his Death Row Pictures banner alongside Kenya Barris. Based on an original pitch from Snoop Dogg and his longtime producing partner, Constance Schwartz and Marini, The Underdogs tell the story of Jason Jennings, two J's played by Snoop Dogg, a former NFL superstar who, after a run-in with the law, agrees to coach a youth football team in lieu of prison in the hopes of relaunching his fledgling career. Well, we haven't seen that before, have we? Um, Bad News Bears comes to mind. The Mighty Ducks comes to mind. What about says Snoop was a kicker in the NFL? Was he really? Could you look that up? Was he was he was Snoop Dogg in the NFL? I don't know. Oh no. What about says no. Okay. You know, at this point in time, the the internet being the way it is, I would not be surprised to find that Snoop Dogg had a had a, a moment in the NFL. I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick's career, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Anybody could be in the NFL. All you got to do is complain long enough. Uh, Mazer <laughs> I, like, I like this one. Uh, Mazur says, that's the same size as my grandmother when she dropped something on the floor in the kitchen and have to strain her back picking it up. Okay. Um... Mrs. Boss back over here laughing uh, and and understandably so because I do sigh a lot for a lot of different reasons and that's one of them I, I don't know I don't know I just uh, alright now in order to put this into some context there's a couple of things. One of one of the things that I notice about this 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 uh, deadline article. Let me get it get it pulled back up here so you can see. One of the things that that strikes me is that this article here from Deadline references the 1939 musical film, and that seems to me a little odd. Because that remake has already been made. It was called The Wiz, and it starred Diana Ross and Michael Jackson, and I think Quincy Jones was imp- was involved in that project as well. I mean, there's this there's the song "Ease on Down the Road." That's from that's from. The Wiz, and no, The Wiz is not mentioned in this article at all. (coughs) Now, before everybody starts complaining about a remake of the 1939 musical classic The Wizard of Oz, I would remind people, and those of you who don't know, I will inform you, that The Wizard of Oz that we got in 1939 starring Judy Garland that was a remake as well. I believe it was something like the 6th or 7th time that story has been told. There were a couple of silent films. There were some other sound pictures. The The Wizard of Oz that we all know and love is not the original. I I can't remember if any of the rest of them were musicals. I don't think they were. So there's that going for it. And of course you have... The Wizard of Oz in Technicolor. They were showing off this new color technology that they had. So it was it was shot using, I want to say, Technicolor. Which is why they changed the color of the shoes to red. So they would pop off the screen and you would see all the color. Lots of color saturation in Oz. But this article does not mention at all... The original books by L. Frank Baum. The main one of which. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Was written as a political allegory. Because of what was going on at the time. With regard to money and finances. And the debates between... Uh, gold or silver as a, stan- as a monetary standard and, and that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's interesting if you go back and look at some of the allegories and parallels that are part of the wonderful Wizard of Oz with what was going on at the time. It was, uh, it was specifically written as a, a, a political story. But it wasn't overtly political. I mean, it's a fantasy. But the symbolism is all over that. Now, we don't have that story referenced. We don't have those books referenced in this article. And they kept saying, you know, the the 1939 musical and this. It's like, that's not the original one. And if you're going to be doing that one again, why? If you're going to remake The Wizard of Oz... Why not go back to the original book and adapt that? Because it hasn't been done. Not not to the extent that you could do it now, anyway. There's a lot of stuff in that book that never made it into the Judy Garland movie. There are characters, there are creatures, there are environments and encounters... ...and whole scenes and discussions and and expositions... ...and all sorts of stuff that happens in that book that's not in the movie. So... Why not go back to the source material? Why make a, a remake of the musical which has already been done it's called the it's called the wiz and yes there's wicked you have wicked as the as the the musical that was based on the novel which is not not essentially part of the oz canon uh, Dave says, The Wiz, Return to Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful, all weren't exactly blockbusters. No, they weren't. I I, I completely forgot about Oz the Great and Powerful. That was James Franco as, the, as Oz, wasn't it? And Return to Oz was produced by... George Lucas. And... Then, of course, you've got Tin Man... Over on Sci-Fi Channel, which was kind of ish a sequel to uh, to The Wizard of Oz, not musically, but in the book, the slippers are silver, and that goes back to that whole. Well, Lucas Lucas was peripherally involved. He wasn't. He wasn't an active producer. His name's on it. So special thanks or something. But he was. His his company helped with some of that. I want to say that Frank Marshall was was the producer on it. I'd have to look it up again. But you have um, you have the silver slippers, which goes back to the debate between the silver standard or the gold standard. See, the silver silver got Dorothy where she needed to go. The gold didn't go... uh, It kind of wandered around and went through all of the different trials and tribulations that she had to go through. But ultimately, the silver slippers is what got her home. And... (coughs) That's... That's the allegory. That's the stuff. That's, uh, That's what that whole thing was. Um... I'm looking this up here for just a second because now I'm, now I'm curious. Uh, directed by Walter Murch, and let's see, produced by. Go to the producing credits. Produced by Gary Kurtz. That's right. You were right, Gary Kurtz. Colin Michael Kitchens and Paul Meslansky were, were producers there on that as well. Gary Kirsch was the executive producer. And, you know, Lucas Lucas was, you know, a special thanks, but I want to say that Lucas film as a as a company was involved in this, but I'm not sure. Now, now I'm now I'm doubting myself. It happens every now and again. Sometimes I can take a look and say, did I get that right? So you've got Kenya Barris, who's going to be doing a remake of the musical, The Wizard of Oz, not the book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I will tell you, first-hand experience, I have adapted The Wonderful Wizard of Oz myself. I went through the book, because it's in public domain. We had a theater group, a community theater group, a number of years ago, many, 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 many moons ago. Before my son was born, we went and performed radio plays. Now, you've heard me talk a number of times about Alien Voices. That's the the outfit that Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey put together where they'd go out and they'd do staged readings of, of science fiction and horror stories as radio plays. So you're standing there, you've got the You've got the microphone, you've got the script, you've got the sound effects guys over here, and the music guys over here, and you're doing a live performance as if you're in the radio station. Well, we did those for a long while. I still have some of the scripts. One of them was The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and what we did, we decided very early on, uh, from the get-go that we would adapt the book and not the movie, because the movie is an adaptation of the book. So we went back to the original source material... The slippers were silver. And there's a number of encounters in that book that you probably never even heard of. There's there's talking chipmunks in one scene. I think they're chipmunks. It's been a while since I've read it. But there's, there's a lot of stuff that's in that book. And, of course, given that we've only got an hour to perform this thing, we had to trim as well. So we had to kind of pick and choose... Some of the stuff that is in the movie, is in the the musical movie, and some new stuff that's not, because if we come out and we do a a whole big thing with Wizard of Oz that doesn't even closely resemble the film, people kind of look sideways and go, that's not the Wizard of Oz, it's the book. And that's a challenge because... Of this kind of thing. Let's remake it and remake it and remake it. And you've got an entire generation or two. That that's all they know. I've talked about this before. There are are generations because they are so wired into YouTube and TikTok and, and Snapchat. They're not reading. They're not reading the classics. All they know for genre. All they know is the Marvel movies and Harry Potter. They don't know Heinlein, and Asimov, and Bradbury, and McCaffrey, and Le Guin. and And maybe they know Neil Gaiman. Maybe they know Alan Moore. Some. Some will. But they don't read Edgar Rice Burroughs. They don't read Arthur Conan Doyle. They don't read Agatha Christie. And it's a shame, too. Because everything that we have now... is just regurgitated sludge from something else... that was based on something else that was inspired by... stuff like Moby Dick and Great Expectations and Tale of Two Cities. People need to read more. And you need... Regular printed books. It's just like Samuel T. Cogley says. Books, young man. Books. Don't rely on these homogenized, computerized, digitized stuff that they can take away from you in a moment's notice. Like that. Gone. Your social media score goes below 50. Gone. What? You had a bank account here? No, you don't. Okay, so this is this is rather clever. I'm going to give you this one, Robert. I've read Moby Dick. I've tried to read Moby Dick. It was unfathomable to me. I see what you did there. It's kind of fishy. But, um, yeah, I've, I've read Moby Dick. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. I thought it was one of the most boring books that I've ever read in my life. The only reason I finished it was because I had to, I had to for my English class. It is a groundbreaking book. It is historically significant but it's boring as all get out. It just is a slog. The only the only moments that stand out in that book are the moments where Ab- where, where that Ahab is going off on his on his obsession and those are the moments that Khan quoted in Star Trek 2. I'll chase him round the moons of Nebbia and round the Antares maelstrom. You know that that whole thing. That's a quote from Moby Dick. I'll chase him round the the Cape and I'll chase him round the Indian Ocean or whatever whatever it was. You know. To the last breath, I will grapple with thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. You know all all, all of that stuff that Khan was quoting. He tasks me and I shall have him. Tell t- oh yeah, well <laughs> Yes, Cyber not that's exactly right. If you've seen Star Trek 2 you've seen the best parts of Moby Dick. That's exactly that's that's exactly it. And I know there have been movies that have been made and they condense it down, but if you were to make if you were to make an actual accurate adaptation of Moby Dick, the entire book then you would probably get something like Waterworld. Endless chapters describing the water. So you could make the argument that in some cases, it's generally not best to adapt the source material word for word faithfully. But it doesn't even look like Kenya Barris is going to be doing that with the Wizard of Oz. He's going to be creating a derivative product from a derivative product. And this stuff doesn't even mention the Wiz either. What's what say? You got a microphone. No, they, they the fact that they don't mention the Wiz, it does... It, it, it indicates here... Same kind of thing. What we've been talking about. If it didn't happen, if it didn't happen after you were born, it didn't happen. This is, we got an entire generation that thinks like that. The only thing of any relevance is the stuff that's current era. Oh yeah, I remember this from five years ago. So it's a thing. But if it happened before I was born, then it didn't happen. You have you have children that are running these companies that are in that mode. It doesn't matter. It's uh, that's that's old. That's old. That's old. It doesn't matter. And then they go do stuff like this. Now, I want to uh, I want to go back just to provide a little bit more context, because some people are thinking, well, who is this guy? This is from 2018 Hollywood Reporter article. I've already gone 40 minutes. Are you kidding me? All right. Blackish creator Kenya Barris breaks silence on that shelved anti Trump episode, his ABC exit, and unapologetic Netflix plans. Now, this is 2018. Kenya Barris has been doing a bunch of series for ABC Blackish, Grownish, that. And for whatever reason, for various reasons, he split with ABC, made a deal with Netflix, and I'm looking at this. I don't even need to know. I don't even need to read the article. I look at this this art this uh, this headline here that he planned an anti-Trump episode. Well, that tells me a little bit about this guy's agenda. And by the way, I do see American Comics and Hex Allen in the in the chat, and and Keeley. Good to see all of you here. Blackish creator Kenya Barris reveals the backstory to his shelved anti-Trump episode that led to his departure. Clashes with Disney's Ben Sherwood. Monster Roseanne. I mean, now this is 2018. Remember, this is right in the middle of everything. It's still pre-pandemic. <clears throat> When Kenya Barris is the article. When Kenya Barris sat down last fall to write an episode of his ABC comedy Blackish titled "Please, Baby, Please," he had a sense it might stir up trouble. The setup was relatively simple. Dre, the Johnson family patriarch played by Anthony Anderson, was telling his infant son Devante a bedtime story that reflected on the events of his first year on the planet. It was, per multiple sources, a mix of political allegory an animated fairy tale about a character named the Shady King, and actuality using news footage of Donald Trump, the Charlottesville attacks, and the NFL kneeling protests. When you're putting a baby to sleep, you're trying to soothe whatever anxieties they're having, says Barris, speaking for the first time about the controversial episode. So this was about me trying to pat the butt of the country and soothe people. Please, Baby, Please, which was supposed to air in the back half of the Emmy-nominated series' fourth season, was shot in wide angle with very little score. Production is said to have upped its usual episode budget of $3 million or so, spending handsomely on rights and clearances for such things as the Sam Cooke ballot A Change Is Gonna Come, which Barris personally met with Cooke's goddaughter to secure he enlisted a high profile illustrator, too, and hired his hero, Spike Lee, to do voiceover, since the episode took its title and inspiration from a children's book written by Lee and his wife. Rather than focus on the entire Johnson clan, as Blackish typically does, the episode centered primarily on Dre and his interpretation of real world events presented to his son as a form of catharsis. Television show. All right, let me close that. Autoplay. <coughs> <coughs> Mere days before it's... I'm skipping ahead. Mere days before it's scheduled February 27th air date, Please Baby Please was mysteriously and indefinitely shelved. While Barris is strategic with his choice of words, careful never to utter the phrase censorship, as others throughout the industry do, The move turned out to be the last straw in his long-standing and already complicated relationship with the Walt Disney Company. Now, it's interesting that the Walt Disney Company and its division ABC didn't want him to air this episode slamming Donald Trump. Fast forward to 2022 and Florida... And you see that this is not a new thing for, for the Disney company to be involved in this kind of thing. But this is this is Disney on the other side of it. He says, I don't know that I would have been as useful to them as they'd need me to be after that. Now, the the implication there is that the network is using him. What are they using him for? is he is he a prop? Is he a black face to to put some representation on their on their check boxes? Is that what he's implying here? <sighs> Tracy Ellis Ross has called the decision frightening. Why? While Anderson suggests it was a personal affront He'd given his blood, sweat, and tears to the episode, which they signed off on every step of the way, from the outline to the script to the table read to the point where they actually spent the money and made the episode, says the actor, who's also an executive producer. And I don't know what those conversations were, but we entered into this partnership with the understanding that we would be able to tell the stories we wanted to tell. So they didn't, so the the network didn't let them do this anti-Trump episode. What Barris hadn't told his actors was that he'd been quietly locked in battle over the episode's fate for weeks. There'd been a flurry of back and forth with executives as high up as CEO Bob Iger, who called Barris from home sick with laryngitis, and per two sources, had a reasoned conversation with the showrunner about the political sensitivities of being a broadcast network in 2018. Wait a minute. Bob Iger was worried about pissing off the right... Bob Iger was worried about political sensibilities in 2018? Where's that Bob Iger? What happened to him? Executives at ABC, more than any other network, have been forthright about their desire for more red state programming since Trump's win, and with Barris's latest episode, they feared they'd be alienating the very population they'd tried so hard to court. Boy, a lot's changed in three years, hasn't it? But, this is the kind of stuff that Barris wants to do. Now, he says that his goal with anything controversial, quote-unquote, is to start a conversation. He says art is about starting a conversation. He says you can go and look at the Mona Lisa and the Mona Lisa is not that good. I mean, she's not pretty. She's not that good looking in terms of, you know, modern, modern aesthetic. But there's something haunting about the picture that makes you start talking about it. It says art is supposed to start a conversation. You like it, you don't like it. Why? And okay, I can agree with that to a certain extent. Yes, you're going to be doing things that, that... Spark a a conversation about various different things. The Last Jedi has done that as well. Like it or not, hate it, you know, or or whatever you want to say about about Ryan Johnson, people are talking about the things. Now, is it constructive? Not all the time. Does it distract? Sometimes it does. But, if this is where he's coming from, if this is Kenya Barris' headspace, that he wants to court controversy in order to start conversations, then what does that mean for the Wizard of Oz in modern era, 2022, current year, given how divided and, and... sensitive that everybody is and given how much negative blowback comes from anybody on the other side pick whichever side it is whatever side you're on you're pointing fingers at other people and they're pointing fingers back at you this neener 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 society that we have right now what kind of wizard of oz movie do you think he's going to make It won't be The Wiz. It won't be just some hip-hop, funky, fresh, Wizard of Oz interpretation. At, At the very least, my guess is that he'd try to make it allegorical the way the original novel was. But leftists, progressives, you know, they say the left can't meme. Leftists don't do subtle very well. They don't do allegory very well. They don't soft-pedal any of this. They 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 have the baseball bat approach. And it doesn't work very well. It's like we were talking about on Wednesday. The LGBTQ uh, community has basically kind of sabotaged themselves by being so militant. Activism has its place, and entertainment is a place where you can make statements. Entertainment is a place where you can start people thinking about ideas, yes. I've said before, you know, you look at science fiction and fantasy, there's there's two things that I take away from it. It's inspirational, it's aspirational. It inspires us to be better and it in, in, it it and it, it you know, we it gives us a goal to shoot for, but it also inspires conversation, inspires new thought, new thinking. You can start to to consider new ideas. But but the packaging Jesse Smollett will play the Cowardly Lion. That's that's pretty good. The packaging matters. Now let's say it's Christmas. Alright, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, just just stick with me. You go down, you go in, and you look at the Christmas tree, and there's two packages. One package is very pretty ribbons and bows and fancy paper and it's a good size and the ne- the other one the other one is smallish and it's in a plastic bag and your name is scribbled on it in a marker and it smells funny and when you when you pick it up it's kind of gooey are you going to want to open that package now in that package could be the key to the lamborghini that's parked outside but do you really want to open that package cuz it's gooey and smelly and sticky and ugly it doesn't look doesn't look good what sticky 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 sticky, sticky. Maybe there's a fly or two. Spider scrambles across it. Yeah, it just, it's just like, ew, I don't want I don't want to touch that. I don't want to I don't want to put my hands on that. I want to open this pretty package. Which you open it up and dig down to the bottom and there's a piece of bubble gum in it. No substance. That's where we are with our entertainment. People are wanting to tell messages i mean look at uh, look at all of the reaction to the first first episode of she hulk where she sits there and says well, i have to i have to control my temper all the time because i get catcalled and i get mansplained and blah 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 she's talking to bruce frickin' banner who tried to kill himself who isolated himself because he lives in fear of destroying everything Bruce Banner, who went off to try to learn how to control the monster that lives inside of him. I mean, look at the confrontation that he had with Black Widow at the beginning of Avengers. All he had to do is yell and slam at the table, and Black Widow panics. and She's got the gun out, and he's like, uh-huh. Everybody's afraid of that monster, including Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner tried to kill himself, and the monster wouldn't let him. That's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Remember that? And now here comes She-Hulk with the catcalls. And I get it. It's comedy. But that's not a comedic scene. But that's where we are. We're going to be clunky in our messages. Because we have to make sure that they're in there. we have to make sure that you understand what it is that we're doing here. The packaging is ugly, folks. It doesn't deliver. You need to go back. If you're going to be talking about stuff that you want people to think about, you've got to do it in a way that gets in to their heads and stays there for them to mull over and say, you know what, that's actually an idea that I hadn't thought about. You're not going to do it by beating people over the head with obvious, obvious dialogue. Twitter is not the real world. And we're seeing examples in both DC and Marvel Comics where people are talking like Twitter. And yeah, Cam's right. That's what they think heroism is. It's victimhood. Look at me. Look look at look at what I've had to go through. I got called a name. I mean, if if that's if that's how we establish credibility, I could talk about getting tackled and getting a knee in my face in second grade because I like Spider-Man. I mean, does that score me any points? Or do I lose those points because I'm white? They kinda they kinda cancel each other out, maybe that's where we are. And if if this project moves forward and the deal's in place so they're at least going into pre production development, we'll see how far it gets. But if Kenya Barris stays true to form and he wants to do the 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 message movie in The Wizard of Oz, you better bet that he's going to portray the the wizard as a Donald Trump type. Absolutely no question that he's gonna do that. Because they can't let him go. Donald Trump lives rent free in their heads. Snob says, I can be a victim too. I have to listen to the show every day okay we're on a Monday Wednesday Friday so I guess that means you're listening to the show on repeat which is great more numbers for us I appreciate that don't forget to share it with your friends <laughs> uh, I just yeah, yeah I, I don't know I I don't know I I, I look at the I look at Hollywood. And I just have to shake my head in pity. I do. I feel sorry for them. I pity them because they have to be living very sad, troubled lives. Just it, I just Hollywood in Washington. They 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 are they are filled with. People who need to believe in something. And they have found... Something... That most of us find disagreeable and distasteful. And they've embraced it. And they're trying to force feed it to the rest of us. You control your dollars. You control your votes. I've said this plenty of times. You are in charge... You just have to act on that. You have the power, ultimately. Because, you know, whatever whatever happens in D.C., whatever happens in Hollywood, in the entertainment industry, or the political realm, ultimately, it's down. it comes down to the people. The people are the ones who are going to be able to make a difference if they decide to do so. You have a choice to make. Am I going to support this, or am I going to support that? Am I going to vote for this person or vote for that person? Am I going to vote yes or no on this referendum? Am I going to vote yes or no on this tax bill? Am I going to buy a ticket to see this movie or stay home? Am I going to pay for this streaming service or am I going to cancel my subscription? You make that choice. Ultimately, you're the ones in charge. And as soon as enough people realize it, and as soon as the entertainment industry and the politicians realize it, then maybe the dynamic starts to shift. Maybe. In the meantime, they will continue to gaslight you and try to tell you that we're not in a recession and that inflation could be a good thing and other other stories that they're trying to tell us and according to according to Sam the ends justify the means I guess right all right you can find us on various different social media platforms and uh, the different video platforms there do connect with us over on Odyssey if you would we're at 194 I think right now and uh, there is the PayPal tip jar there's our mailing address if you've got something you'd like to uh, send us for review. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Wednesday, next Wednesday, number four hundred fifty of this show. I don't know exactly what we're going to do yet. Uh, it's not. You're right. Anybody that grew up in the '70s knows what uh, knows what inflation is about. I I hope we don't get back up to twenty-one percent. I really, I really hope that that we can turn things around before we get to that point. But uh, who knows? We'll see. All right. Uh, reminder coming up on Saturday. Good morning, Multiverse. 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. With the week's headlines, we are doing uh, our prep for that. And let me ask you this, because uh, some people have been talking about doing this. Uh, you know, there there are other channels for artists they do draw streams. Now I don't I don't draw anymore and that's not what this kind of a channel is. But would there be any interest? And I don't I don't I don't know if this would be a, a thing. If if we if we did some process streams, some process videos that kind of go a little bit behind the scenes as we're putting together prep for Good morning, multiverse. Would there be any interest in that? I don't. I don't know if, if anybody want to watch me sit here at the computer and type all day or not. But just throwing that out there as an idea. But yeah, four hundred and fifty. Maybe we'll have cake. Maybe we'll do an open mic. I'm not sure. I. I. We need to have. We need to get a ferry back on. So I gotta. I gotta talk to SB the ferry. We'll see. We'll see what uh, four fifty. Four fifty will be kind of kind of a big deal. Maybe I don't know. We'll let you know, but uh, there we go. Uh, oh, maybe watch while I write. I okay. I know, I know we're over, but let me let me let you in on something here. <coughs> I did have a book. I self-published a book. It's called The Hero at the End of His I don't generally talk about my work here so much because I don't want to hijack the brand because it's not all about me. It's only mostly about me. But I have sent the book to an editor to see if there would be any interest, if there would be any value in expanding that book into a bigger book. I I did take that step this week. I, I We'll see. We'll see. Robert says I own the only Canadian copy of Here at the End of the drove Well, I appreciate that. All right, that's it. I got to go. We got we got prep to do for for tomorrow. So, we'll uh, we'll head out. Thanks very much all of you in the chat for being here and uh, those of you who are here in replay, thanks for watching. Everybody go connect with us over on Odyssey and we will do this all again next week starting on Monday. Remember there are 4 lights this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2022 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media